Part 10 of The Lady of the Shroud by Bram Stoker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Part 10. Letter from Petrov Vlastimir, Archimandrite of Spazak, to the Lady Janet McKelpie of Visarion. July 8, 1907. Great Lady, I am asked to write by the Vladika and am permission of the Archbishop. I have the honor of transmitting to you the record of the pursuit of the Turkish spies who carried off the Voivodin Tuta of the noble house of Visarion. The pursuit was undertaken by the Gospodar Rupert, who asked that I would come with his party, since what he was so good as to call my great knowledge of the country and its people might serve much. It is true that I have had much knowledge of the land of the Blue Mountains and its people, amongst which and whom my whole life has been passed. But in such a cause no reason was required. There was not a man in the Blue Mountains who would not have given his life for the Voivodin Tuta, and when they heard that she had not been dead as they thought, but only in a trance, and that it was she whom the marauders had carried off, they were in a frenzy. So why should I, to whom has been given the great trust of the monastery of Spazak, hesitate at such a time? For myself, I wanted to hurry on and to come at once to the fight with my country's foes, and well I knew that the Gospoda Rupert, with a lion's heart meat for his giant body, would press on with a matchless speed. We of the Blue Mountains do not lag when our foes are in front of us. Most of all do we of the Eastern Church press on when the Crescent wars against the Cross. We took with us no gear or hamper of any kind, no coverings except what we stood in, no food, nothing but our hand-jars and our rifles, with a sufficiency of ammunition. Before starting, the Guspadar gave hurried orders by signal from the castle to have food and ammunition sent to us, as we might signal, by the nearest hamlet. It was high noon when we started, only ten strong, for our leader would take none but approved runners who could shoot straight and use the hand-jar as it should be used. So, as we went light, we expected to go fast. By this time, we knew from the reports signaled to Visarion that the enemies were chosen men of no despicable prowess. The keeper of the green flag of Islam is well served, and though the Turk is an infidel and a dog, he is sometimes brave and strong. Indeed, except when he passes the confines of the Blue Mountains, he has been known to do stirring deeds. But as none who have dared to wander in amongst our hills ever return to their own land, we may not know of how they speak at home of their battles here. Still, these men were evidently not to be despised, and our Gospodar, who is a wise man as well as a valiant, warned us to be prudent and not to despise our foes overmuch. We did as he counseled, and in proof we only took ten men, as we had only twenty against us. But then there was at stake much beyond life, and we took no risks. So, as the great clock at Fisarion clanged of noon, the eight fastest runners of the Blue Mountains, together with the Gospodar Rupert and myself, swept out on our journey. It had been signaled to us that the course which the marauders had as yet taken in their flight was a zigzag one, running eccentrically at all sorts of angles and in all sorts of directions, but our leader had marked out a course where we might intercept our foes across the main line of their flight, and Till we had reached that region, we paused not a second, but went as fast as we could all night long. 
Indeed, it was amongst us a race, as was the Olympic race of old Greece, each one vying with his fellows, though not in jealous emulation, but in high spirit, to best serve his country and the Voivodin Teuton. Foremost among us went the Gospodar, bearing himself as a paladin of old, his mighty form pausing for no obstacle. Perpetually did he urge us on. He would not stop or pause for a moment, but often, as he and I ran together, for, lady, in my youth I was the fleetest of all in the race, and even now can head a battalion when duty calls. He would ask me certain questions as to the Lady Tuta, and of the strange manner of her reputed death, as it was gradually unfolded in my answers to his questioning. And as each new phase of knowledge came to him, he would rush on as one possessed of fiends, whereat our mountaineers, who seemed to respect even fiends for their thoroughness, would strive to keep pace with him till they too seemed worked into diabolic possession. And I myself, left alone in the calmness of sacerdotal office, forgot even that. With surging ears and eyes that saw blood, I rushed along with the best of them. Then, truly, the spirit of a great captain showed itself in the Gospodar, for when others were charged with fury, he began to force himself into calm so that out of his present self-command and the memory of his exalted position came a worthy strategy and thought for every contingency that might arise, so that when some new direction was required for our guidance, there was no hesitation in its coming. We, nine men of varying kinds, all felt that we had a master, and so, being willing to limit ourselves to strict obedience, we were free to use such thoughts as well as powers as we had to the best advantage of the doing. We came across the trail of the flying marauders on the second morning after the abduction, a little before noon. It was easy enough to see, for by this time the miscreants were all together, and our people, who were all woodlanders, were able to tell much of the party that passed. These were evidently in a terrified hurry, for they had taken no precautions such as are necessary to baffle pursuit, and all of which take time. Our horsters said that two went ahead and two behind. In the center went the mass, moving close together, as though surrounding their prisoner. We caught not even a single glimpse of her. Could not have, they encompassed her so closely. But our foresters saw other than the mass. The ground that had been passed was before them. They knew that the prisoner had gone unwillingly. Nay, more. One of them said, as he rose from his knees, where he had been examining of the ground, the misbegotten dogs have been urging her on with their yattigans. There are drops of blood, though there are no blood marks on her feet. Whereupon the Gospodar flamed with passion, his teeth ground together, and with a deep-breathed, On! On! He sprang off again, hand-jar in hand, on the track. Before long, we saw the party in the distance. They were far below us in a deep valley, although the track of their going passed away to the right hand. They were making for the base of the great cliff which rose before us all. The reason was twofold, as we soon knew. Far off, down the valley which they were crossing, we saw signs of persons coming in haste, who must be of the search party coming from the north. Though the trees hid them, we could not mistake the signs. I was myself forester enough to have no doubt. Again, it was evident that the young Boivodin could travel no longer at the dreadful pace at which they had been going. Those blood marks told their own tale. They meant to make a last stand here in case they should be discovered. Then it was that he, who amongst us all, 
had been most fierce and most bent on rapid pursuit, became the most calm. Raising his hand for silence, though God knows we were and had been silent enough during that long rush through the forest, he said in a low, keen whisper, which cut the silence like a knife, My friends, the time has come for action. God be thanked, who has now brought us face to face with our foes. But we must be careful here, not on our own account, for we wish nothing more than to rush on and conquer or die, but for the sake of her whom you love, and whom I too love. She is in danger from anything which may give warning to those fiends. If they know or even suspect for an instant that we are near, they will murder her. Here his voice broke for an instant with the extremity of his passion or the depth of his feeling. I hardly know which. I think both acted on him. We know from those blood marks what they can do, even to her. His teeth ground together again, but he went on without stopping further. Let us now arrange the battle. Though we are but little distance from them as the crow flies, the way is far to travel. There is, I can see, but one path down to the valley from this side. That they have gone by, and that they will be sure to guard, to watch at any rate. Let us divide, as to surround them. The cliff towards which they make runs far to the left without a break. That to the right we cannot see from this spot. But from the nature of the ground it is not unlikely that it turns round in this direction, making the hither end of the valley like a vast pocket or amphitheatre. As they have studied the ground in other places, they may have done so in this, and have come hither as to a known refuge. Let one man, a marksman, stay here. As he spoke, a man stepped to the front. He was, I knew, an excellent shot. Let two others go to the left and try to find a way down the cliff before us. When they have descended to the level of the valley, path or no path, let them advance cautiously and secretly, keeping their guns in readiness. But they must not fire till need. Remember, my brothers, he said, turning to those who stepped out a pace or two to the left, that the first shot gives the warning which will be the signal for the Forvidens' death. These men will not hesitate. You must judge yourselves of the time to shoot. The others of us will move to the right and try to find a path on that side. If the valley be indeed a pocket between the cliffs, we must find a way down that is not a path. As he spoke thus, there was a blaze in his eyes that betokened no good to aught that might stand in his way. I ran by his side as we moved to the right. It was as he surmised about the cliff. When we got a little on our way, we saw how the rocky formation trended to our right, till finally, with a wide curve, it came round to the other side. It was a fearful valley, that, with its narrow girth and its towering walls that seemed to topple over. On the farther side from us, the great trees that clothed the slope of the mountain over it grew down to the very edge of the rock so that their spreading branches hung far over the chasm. And so far as we could understand, the same condition existed on our own side. Below us, the valley was dark even in the daylight. We could best tell the movement of the flying marauders by the flashes of the white shroud of their captive in the midst of them. From where we were grouped, amid the great tree trunks on the very brow of the cliff, we could, when our eyes were accustomed to the shadow, see them quite well. In great haste, and half-dragging, half-carrying the Voivoden, they crossed the open space and took refuge 
in a little grassy alcove surrounded, save for its tortuous entrance, by undergrowth. From the valley level it was manifestly impossible to see them, though we from our altitude could see over the stunted undergrowth. When within the glade they took their hands from her, she, shuddering instinctively, withdrew to a remote corner of the dell. And then, oh, shame on their manhood, Turks and heathens though they were, we could see that they had submitted her to the indignity of gagging her and binding her hands. Our Voivodin tutor bound! To one and all of us it was like lashing us across the face. I heard the Gospodar's teeth grind again, but once more he schooled himself to calmness ere he said, It is perhaps as well great though the indignity be. They are seeking their own doom, which is coming quickly. Moreover, they are thwarting their own base plans. Now that she is bound, they will trust to their binding, so that they will delay their murderous alternative to the very last moment. Such is our chance of rescuing her alive. For a few moments he stood as still as a stone, as though revolving something in his mind whilst he watched. I could see that some grim resolution was forming in his mind, for his eyes ranged to the top of the trees above the cliff, and down again, very slowly this time, as though measuring and studying the detail of what was in front of him. Then he spoke. They are in hopes that the other pursuing party may not come across them. To know that, they are waiting. If those others do not come up the valley, they will proceed on their way. They will return up the path the way they came. There we can wait them, charge into the middle of them when she is opposite, and cut down those around her. Then the others will open fire, and we shall be rid of them. Whilst he was speaking, two of the men of our party, who I knew to be good sharpshooters, and who had just before lain on their faces and had steadied their rifles to shoot, rose to their feet. Command us, Gospodar they said, simply, as they stood to attention. Shall we go to the head of the ravine road, and there take hiding? He thought for perhaps a minute, whilst we all stood as silent as images. I could hear our hearts beating. Then he said, No, not yet. There is time for that yet. They will not, cannot stir or make plans in any way till they know whether the other party is coming towards them or not. From our height here, we can see what course the others are taking long before those villains do. Then we can make our plans and be ready in time. We waited many minutes, but could see no further signs of the other pursuing party. These had evidently adopted greater caution in their movements as they came closer to where they expected to find the enemy. The marauders began to grow anxious. Even at our distance, we could gather as much from their attitude and movements. Presently, when the suspense of their ignorance grew too much for them, they drew to the entrance of the glade, which was the farthest place to which, without exposing themselves to anyone who might come to the valley, they could withdraw from their captive. Here they consulted together. We could follow from their gestures what they were saying, for as they did not wish their prisoner to hear, their gesticulation was enlightening to us as to each other. Our people, like all mountaineers, have good eyes and the Gospodar is himself an eagle in this as in other ways. Three men stood back from the rest. They stacked their rifles so that they could seize them easily. Then they drew their scimitars, 
and stood ready as though on guard. These were evidently the appointed murderers. Well, they knew their work, for though they stood in a desert place with none within long distance except the pursuing party, of whose approach they would have good notice, they stood so close to their prisoner that no marksman in the world, now, or that ever had been, not William Tell himself, could have harmed any of them without at least endangering her. Two of them turned the Boyvodin round so their face was towards the precipice, in which position she could not see what was going on, whilst he who was evidently leader of the gang explained in gesture that the others were going to spy upon the pursuing party. When they had located them, he or one of his men would come out of the opening of the wood wherein they had had evidence of them and hold up his hand. That was to be the signal for the cutting of the victim's throat, such being the chosen method, villainous even for heathen murderers, of her death. There was not one of our men who did not grind his teeth when we witnessed the grim action, only too expressive of the Turk as he drew his right hand, clenched as though he held a yatagun in it, across his throat. At the opening of the glade, all the spying party halted, whilst the leader appointed to each his place of entry of the wood, the front of which extended in an almost straight line across the valley from cliff to cliff. The men, stooping low when in the open, and taking instant advantage of every little obstacle on the ground, seemed to fade like spectres with incredible swiftness across the level mead, and were swallowed up in the wood. When they had disappeared, the Gospodar Rupert revealed to us the details of the plan of action which he had revolving in his mind. He motioned us to follow him. We threaded away between the tree trunks, keeping all the while on the very edge of the cliff, so that the space below was all visible to us. When we had got round the curve sufficiently to see the whole of the wood on the valley level, without losing sight of the Voivoden and her appointed assassins, we halted under his direction. There was an added advantage of this point over the other, for we could see directly the rising of the hill road, up which farther side ran the continuation of the mountain path which the marauders had followed. It was somewhere on that path that the other pursuing party had hoped to intercept the fugitives. The Gospodar spoke quickly, though in a voice of command which true soldiers loved to hear. Brothers, the time has come when we can strike a blow for Tuta and the land. Do you two, marksmen, take position here facing the wood? The two men here lay down and got their rifles ready. Divide the frontage of the wood between you. Arrange between yourselves the limits of your positions. The very instant one of the marauders appears, cover him. Drop him before he emerges from the wood. Even then, still watch and treat similarly whoever else may take his place. Do this if they come singly, till not a man is left. Remember, brothers that brave hearts alone will not suffice at this grim crisis. In this hour, the best safety of the Voivoden is in the calm spirit and the steady eye. Then he turned to the rest of us and spoke to me. Our commandrite of Plazak, you who are interpreter to God of the prayers of so many souls, my own hour has come. If I do not return, convey my love to my Aunt Janet, Miss McKelpie, at Vissarion. There is but one thing left to us if we wish to save the Voivoden. Do you, when the time comes, take these men and join the watcher at the top of the ravine road. When the shots are fired, draw your hand jar and rush the ravine and across the valley. Brothers, you may be in time to avenge the Voivoden if you cannot save her. 
For me, there must be a quicker way, and to it I go. As there is not, and will not be, time to traverse the path, I must take a quicker way. Nature finds me a path that man has made it necessary for me to travel. See that giant beech tree that towers above the glade where the Warburton is held? There is my path. When you from here have marked the return of the spies, give me a signal with your hat. Do not use a handkerchief, as others might see its white and take warning. Then rush that ravine. I shall take that as the signal for my descent by the leafy road. If I can do naught else, I can crush the murderers with my falling weight, even if I have to kill her too. At least we shall die together, and free. Lay us together in the tomb at St. Sava's. Farewell, if it be the last. He threw down the scabbard in which he carried his hand-jar, adjusted the naked weapon in his belt behind his back, and was gone. We who were not washing the wood kept our eyes fixed on the great beech tree, and with new interest noticed the long trailing branches which hung low and swayed even in the gentle breeze. For a few minutes, which seemed amazingly long, we saw no sign of him. Then, high up on one of the great branches, which stood clear of obscuring leaves, we saw something crawling flat against the bark. He was well out on the branch, hanging far over the precipice. He was looking over at us, and I waved my hand so that he should know we saw him. He was clad in green, his usual forest dress, so that there was not any likelihood of any other eyes noticing him. I took off my hat and held it ready to signal with when the time should come. I glanced down at the glade and saw the Voivodin standing still safe with her guards so close to her as to touch. Then I too fixed my eyes on the wood. Suddenly the man standing beside me seized my arm and pointed. I could just see through the trees, which were lower than elsewhere in the front of the wood, a Turk moving stealthily, so I waved my hat. At the same time, a rifle underneath me cracked. A second or two later, the spy pitched forward on his face and lay still. At the same instant, my eyes sought the beech tree, and I saw the close-lying figure raise itself and slide forward to a joint of the branch. Then the Gospodar, as he rose, hurled himself forward amid the mass of the trailing branches. He dropped like a stone, and my heart sank. But an instant later, he seemed in poise. He had clutched the thin trailing branches as he fell, and as he sank, a number of leaves which his motion had torn off floated out round him. Again the rifle below me cracked, and then again, and again, and again. The marauders had taken warning and were coming out in mass. But my own eyes were fixed on the tree. Almost as a thunderbolt falls fell the giant body of the Gospodar, his size lost in the immensity of his surroundings. He fell in a series of jerks as he kept clutching the trailing beech branches whilst they lasted, and then other lesser verdure growing out from the fissures in the rock after the lengthening branches had with all their elasticity reached their last point. At length, for though this all took place in a very few seconds, the gravity of the crisis prolonged them immeasurably, there came a large space of rock some three times his own length. He did not pause, but swung himself to one side, so that he should fall close to the Voivodin and her guards. These men did not seem to notice, for their attention was fixed on the wood whence they expected their messenger to signal, but they raised their yataguns in readiness. 
The shots had alarmed them, and they meant to do the murder now, messenger or no messenger. But though the men did not see the danger from above, the Voivodin did. She raised her eyes quickly at the first sound, and even from where we were, before we began to run towards the ravine path, I could see the triumphant look in her glorious eyes when she recognized the identity of the man who was seemingly coming straight down from heaven itself to help her, as indeed she and we too can very well imagine that he did, for if ever heaven had a hand in a rescue on earth, it was now. Even during the last drop from the rocky foliage, the Gospodar kept his head. As he fell, he pulled his hand jar free, and almost as he was falling, its sweep took off the head of one of the assassins. As he touched ground, he stumbled for an instant, but it was towards his enemies. Twice, with lightning rapidity, the handjar swept the air, and at each sweep a head rolled on the sward. The Voivodin held up her tied hands. Again the handjar flashed, this time downwards, and the lady was free. Without an instant's pause, the Gospodar tore off the gag, and with his left arm round her and the hand jar in right hand stood, face towards his living foes. The Voivodin stooped suddenly, and then, raising the atagun which had fallen from the hand of one of the dead marauders, stood armed beside him. The rifles were now cracking fast, as the marauders, those that were left of them, came rushing out into the open. But well the marksmen knew their work. Well they bore in mind the Gospodar's command regarding calmness. They kept picking off the foremost men only, so that the onward rush never seemed to get more forward. As we rushed down the ravine, we could see clearly all before us. But now, just as we were beginning to fear lest some mischance might allow some of them to reach the glade, there was another cause of surprise, of rejoicing. From the face of the wood seemed to burst all at once a body of men, all wearing the national cap so we knew them as our own. They were all armed with the hand-jar only, and they came like tigers. They swept on the rushing Turks as though, for all their swiftness, they were standing still, literally wiping them out as a child wipes a lesson from its slate. A few seconds later, these were followed by a tall figure with long hair and beard of black mingled with gray. Instinctively, we all, as did those in the valley, shouted with joy. For this was the Vladika Milos Plamenak himself. I confess that, knowing what I knew, I was for a short space of time anxious, lest in the terrific excitement at which we were all lapped, someone might say or do something which might make for trouble later on. The Gospodar's splendid achievement, which was worthy of any hero of old romance, had set us all on fire. He himself must have been wrought to a high pitch of excitement to dare such an act, and it is not at such a time that discretion must be expected from any man. Most of all did I fear danger from the womanhood of the Voivodin. Had I not assisted at her marriage, I might not have understood then what it must have been to her to be saved from such a doom at such a time by such a man who was so much to her, and in such a way. It would have been only natural if at such a moment of gratitude and triumph she had proclaimed the secret which we of the Council of the Nation and her father's commissioners had so religiously kept. But none of us knew, then, either the Voivodin or the Gospodar Rupert, as we do now. It was well that they were as they are, for the jealousy and suspicion of our mountaineers might, 
even at such a moment, and even whilst they throbbed at such a deed, have so manifested themselves as to have left a legacy of distrust. The Vladika and I, who of all, save the two immediately concerned, alone knew, looked at each other apprehensively. But at that instant the Voividen, with a swift glance at her husband, laid a finger on her lip, and he, with quick understanding, gave assurance by a similar sign. Then she sank before him on one knee, and raising his hand to her lips, kissed it and spoke. Gospera Rupert, I owe you all that a woman may owe, except to God. You have given me life and honor. I cannot thank you adequately for what you have done. My father will try to do so when he returns. But I am right sure that the men of the Blue Mountains, who so value honor and freedom and liberty and bravery, will hold you in their hearts forever. This was so sweetly spoken, with lips that trembled and eyes that swam in tears, so truly womanly and so in accord with the custom of our nation regarding the reverence that women owe to men, that the hearts of our mountaineers were touched to the quick. Their noble simplicity found expression in tears. But if the gallant Gospodar could have for a moment thought that so to weep was unmanly, his error would have had instant correction. When the Voivoden had risen to her feet, which she did with queenly dignity, the men around closed in on the Gospodar like a wave of the sea, and in a second held him above their heads, tossing on their lifted hands as if on stormy breakers. It was as though the old Vikings of whom we have heard, and whose blood flows in Rupert's veins, were choosing a chief in old fashion. I was myself glad that the men were so taken up with the Gospodar that they did not see the glory of the moment in the Voivodin's starry eyes, for else they might have guessed the secret. I knew from the Vladika's look that he shared my own satisfaction, even as he had shared my anxiety. As the Gospodar Rupert was tossed high on the lifted hands of the mountaineers, their shouts rose to such a sudden volume that around us, as far as I could see, the frightened birds rose from the forest, and their noisy alarm swelled the tumult. The Gospodar, ever thoughtful for others, was the first to calm himself. Come, brothers, he said, let us gain the hilltop, where we can signal to the castle. It is right that the whole nation should share in the glad tidings that the Voivodin Tuta of Isarion is free. But before we go, let us remove the arms and clothing of these carrion marauders. We may have use for them later on. The mountaineers set him down, gently enough, and he, taking the Voivodin by the hand and calling the Vladika and myself close to them, led the way up the ravine path which the marauders had descended, and thence through the forest to the top of the hill that dominated the valley. Here we could, from an opening amongst the trees, catch a glimpse far off of the battlements of Isarion. Forthwith the Gospodar signaled, and on the moment a reply of their awaiting was given. Then the Gospodar signaled the glad news. It was received with manifest rejoicing. We could not hear any sound so far away, but we could see the movement of lifted faces and waving hands, and knew that it was well. But an instant after came a calm so dread that we knew before the semaphore had begun to work that there was bad news in store for us. When the news did come, a bitter wailing arose amongst us, for the news that was signaled ran, 
The voivode has been captured by the Turks on his return, and is held by them at Ilsen. In an instant the temper of the mountaineers changed. It was as though by a flash summer had changed to winter, as though the yellow glory of the standing corn had been obliterated by the dreary waste of snow. Nay, more, it was as when one beholds the track of the whirlwind when the giants of the forest are leveled with the sward. For a few seconds there was silence, and then, with an angry roar, as when God speaks in the thunder, came the fierce determination of the men of the Blue Mountains. To Ilsen! To Ilsen! And a stampede in the direction of the south began. For, illustrious lady, you perhaps, who have been for so short a time at Vissarion, may not know that at the extreme southern point of the land of the Blue Mountains lies the little port of Ilsen, which long ago we wrested from the Turk. The stampede was checked by the command, Halt! spoken in a thunderous voice by the Gospodar. Instinctively, all stopped. The Gospodar Rupert spoke again. Had we not better know a little more before we start on our journey? I shall get by semaphore what details are known. Do you all proceed in silence and as swiftly as possible? The Vladika and I shall await here till we have received the news and have sent some instructions when we shall follow, and if we can, overtake you. One thing, be absolutely silent on what has been. Be secret of every detail, even as to the rescue of the Voivoden, except what I send. Without a word, thus showing immeasurable trust, the whole body, not a very large one, it is true, moved on and the Gospodar began signaling. As I was myself expert in the code, I did not require any explanation, but followed question and answer on either side. The first words the Gospodar Rupert signaled were silence, absolute and profound, as to everything which has been. Then he asked for details of the capture of the Voivode. The answer ran. He was following from Flushing, and his enemies advised by the spies all along the route. At Ragusa, quite a number of strangers, travelers seemingly, went on board the packet. When he got out, the strangers debarked too, and evidently followed him, though as yet we have no details. He disappeared at Ilsen from the Hotel Rio, whither he had gone. All possible steps are being taken to trace his movements, and strictest silence and secrecy are observed. His answer was, Good. Keep silent and secret. Am hurrying back. Signal request to Archbishop and all members of National Council to come to Gadar with all speed. There, the yacht will meet him. Tell Rook, take yacht all speed to Gadar. There, meet Archbishop and Council. Give him list of names and return full speed. Have ready plenty arms, six flying artillery. Two hundred men, provisions three days. Silence, silence. All depends on that. All to go on as usual at Castle except to those in secret. When the receipt of his message had been signaled, we three, before, of course, the Voivoden was with us, she had refused to leave the Gospodar, set out hot foot after our comrades. But by the time we had descended the hill, it was evident that the Voivoden could not keep up the terrific pace at which we were going. She struggled heroically with the long journey she had already taken and the hardship and anxiety she had suffered had told on her. The Gospodar stopped and said that it would be better that he should press on, 
it was perhaps her father's life, and said he would carry her. No, no, she answered, go on, I shall follow with the Vladica, and then you can have things ready to get on soon after the archbishop and council arrive. They kissed each other after, on her part a shy glance at me, and he went on the track of our comrades at a great pace. I could see him shortly after catch them up, though they too were going fast. For a few minutes they ran together, he speaking. I could note it from the way they kept turning their heads towards him. Then he broke away from them hurriedly. He went like a stag, breaking covered, and was soon out of sight. They halted a moment or two, then some few ran on, and all the rest came back towards us. Quickly they improvised a litter with cords and branches, and insisted that the Voivoden should use it. In an incredibly short time we were under way again, and proceeding with great rapidity towards Visarion. The men took it in turns to help with the litter. I had the honor of taking a hand in the work myself. About a third of the way out from Visarion, a number of our people met us. They were fresh, and as they carried the litter, we who were relieved were free for speed. So we soon arrived at the castle. Here we found all humming like a hive of bees. The yacht, which Captain Rook had kept fired ever since the pursuing party under the Gospodar had left Visarion, was already away, and tearing up the coast at a fearful rate. The rifles and ammunition were stacked on the quay. The field guns, too, were equipped, and the cases of ammunition rated a ship. The men, two hundred of them, were paraded in full kit, ready to start at a moment's notice. The provision for three days was all ready to put aboard, and barrels of fresh water to trundle aboard when the yacht should return. At one end of the quay, ready to lift on board, stood also the Gospodar's aeroplane, fully equipped, and ready, if need were, for immediate flight. I was glad to see that the Voivoden seemed none the worse for her terrible experience. She still wore her shroud, but no one seemed to notice it as anything strange. The whisper had evidently gone round of what had been, but discretion ruled the day. She and the Gospodar met as two who had served and suffered in common, but I was glad to notice that both kept themselves under such control that none of those not already in the secret even suspected that there was any love between them, let alone marriage. We all waited with what patience we could till word was signaled from the castle tower that the yacht had appeared over the northern horizon and was coming down fast, keeping inshore as she came. When she arrived, we heard to our joy that all concerned had done their work well. The archbishop was aboard, and of the national council not one was missing. The gospodar hurried them all into the great hall of the castle, which had in the meantime been got ready. I too went with him, but the voivoden remained without. When all were seated, he rose and said, My lord archbishop, Vladika, and lords of the council all, I have dared to summon you in this way because time presses and the life of one you all love, the Voivode Vissarion, is at stake. This audacious attempt of the Turk is the old aggression under a new form. It is a new and more daring step than ever to try to capture your chief and his daughter, the Voivoden, whom you love. Happily, the latter part of the scheme is frustrated. The Voivoden is safe and amongst us, but the Voivode is held prisoner, if indeed he be still alive. He must be somewhere near Ilsen, but where exactly we know not as yet. We have an expedition ready to start the moment we receive your sanction, your commands. We shall obey your wishes with our lives. 
but as the matter is instant, I would venture to ask one question, and one only. Shall we rescue the voivode at any cost that may present itself? I ask this, for the matter has now become an international one, and if our enemies are as earnest as we are, the issue is war. Having so spoken, and with a dignity and force which is inexpressible, he withdrew, and the council, having appointed a scribe, the monk Christophoros, whom I had suggested, began its work. The archbishop spoke. Lords of the Council of the Blue Mountains, I venture to ask you that the answer to the Gospodar Rupert be an instant yes, together with thanks and honor to that gallant Englisher, who has made our cause his own, and who has so valiantly rescued our beloved Voivoden from the ruthless hands of our enemies. Forthwith, the oldest member of the council, Nicolas of Volok, rose, and after throwing a searching look round the faces of all, and seeing grave nods of assent, for not a word was spoken, said to him who held the door, Summon the Gospodar Rupert forthwith. When Rupert entered, he spoke with him. Gospodar Rupert, the Council of the Blue Mountains has only one answer to give. Proceed. Rescue the Voivode Vissarion, whatever the cost may be. You hold henceforth in your hand the hand-jar of our nation, as already, for what you have done in your valiant rescue of our beloved Voivoden, your breast holds the heart of our people. Proceed at once. We give you, I fear, little time, but we know that such is your own wish. Later we shall issue formal authorization, so that if war may ensue, our allies may understand that you have acted for the nation, and also such letters credential as may be required by you in this exceptional service. These shall follow you within an hour. For our enemies we take no account. See, we draw the hand-jar that we offer you. As one man, all in the hall, drew their hand-jars, which flashed as a blaze of lightning. There did not seem to be an instant's delay. The council broke up, and its members, mingling with the people without, took active part in the preparations. Not many minutes had elapsed when the yacht, manned and armed and stored as arranged, was rushing out of the creek. On the bridge, beside Captain Rook, stood the Gospodar Rupert and the still-shrouded form of the Voivoden Tuta. I myself was on the lower deck with the soldiers, explaining to certain of them the special duties which they might be called on to fulfill. I held the list which the Gospodar Rupert had prepared whilst we were waiting for the yacht to arrive from Gadar. Petrov Vlastimir End of Part 10 Recording by Thomas Copeland